Well, I am very excited for a new year. Uh, I shared with those of you that were here last week that uh, I usually work about six weeks ahead, or at least I try to work about six weeks ahead in preparing messages for Sundays. And so uh, that, that's just my, my goal, is to be that far ahead so that I can have everything lined up. And about a week and a half ago, I just felt like uh, the Lord was speaking to me and saying, I want you to go in a completely different direction for January and February. So uh, what I have to share with you this morning, I'm deeply passionate about, and, uh, and we're starting a, a teaching series that I've called The Flesh, the Law, and the Spirit, which is probably kind of an odd title maybe to, to your ears or to your eyes, uh, but, but this is something that is deeply personal for me, but because this has been birthed out of my own personal journey about the last six months as I've been studying the, uh, the book of Galatians and the seventh and eighth chapters of the book of Romans. And so I'm just so excited to share with you. And sometimes when I get really excited, my mouth goes faster than my brain, or maybe it's the other way around, I'm not sure. So if I stumble, it's because I'm really excited, not because I'm not prepared, because I am prepared. But uh, I, I just, I'm so passionate, and I hope that the Lord will really speak to your hearts, and that together we're going to bump it up a level. That's kind of what I'm hoping this morning, is that we're just going to bump it up a level. And I think this is especially appropriate for New Year, because this is a time for new beginnings for many of us. How many of you need a new beginning today, whether you made a resolution or not? Yeah, and I do too. Uh, today is going to be message number one, and I'm calling it the flesh. But I want to start by talking a little bit about shame. Uh, and and uh, one more word of explanation before I jump totally into this. Uh, I hope that you will make a commitment to be here for all six Sundays. I know that's not possible for all of you, but if you can, I hope you will be here for the next six weeks because what I'm going to share today is just like the prologue. This is step one in a six-step process, and every message is going to build on the one before. If you can't be here, I hope you'll listen to the podcast and uh, stay up with us. Uh, But Today I want to talk about shame and how our fleshly nature brings us to the point of shame. And then in in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the law and we're going to talk about the spirit that gives us freedom, that that gives us power to overcome our flesh, all this kind of stuff. And, And I believe that if you start to absorb this kind of stuff and if you'll do the next steps that I'll give you at the end of this message... I believe that today can be a day of new beginnings and 2010 can be completely different than 2009. So uh, that's my goal for you. Let me talk to you a little bit about shame. I was talking to a, uh, to a mom that I know pretty well this last week. And this mom has uh, three kids. And, and when her daughter, she has one daughter, when her daughter was a little girl, she was obsessed with Barbie dolls. Any Barbie doll lovers in the crowd? All right, I'm, I'm, a, I'm alone today. Uh, no. This little, girl, this little girl was obsessed with Barbies. Ty, you like Barbies, don't you? Yeah, Ty's up here. She likes Barbies a lot. And this little girl, from the time she was old enough to talk, it was Barbie everything. What do you want for Christmas? I want a Barbie. What do you want for your birthday? I want a Barbie. And it didn't seem like there were enough Barbies. There... You just had to have them all. And, and you guys know, Barbie is pretty saturated in our culture. There's Malibu Barbie, and there's going camping Barbie, and presidential Barbie, and uh, 
Fly to the Moon Barbie. I don't, you know, there's just so many of them. And, and little girls who love Barbies can never have enough of them. And this is what this little girl was like when she was even three, four, five years old. Barbie everything. And she had them all. And she had a Ken doll to go with Barbie, right? Because you can't have Barbie without Ken. That's just the way it works. Well, I was talking to this mother this last week, and, and, uh, and she was telling me this story. Uh, her daughter is now a teenager, but when she was six, seven years old, somewhere around that age, uh, her little girl was playing with her Barbies, and, and the mom walked into the room, and she found uh, Ken and Barbie in a not appropriate situation, if you know what I mean. And, uh, and the mom was horrified because here's her little girl, and her little girl, she had presumed was very innocent, and they had not yet had the talk. And, uh, and here's Barbie and Ken, obviously uh, knowing more than, than they should know. And so it was very uncomfortable for the mother, but she realized at this moment she had to have this big talk with her little girl. And so she sat down on the bed and, and said to her little girl, you know, uh, this is not the way Barbie and Ken behave. <laughs> and then she step-by-step step talked through why Barbie and Ken don't behave that way. Well, what happened to the little girl, I think she was six or seven years old, she was so deeply ashamed that she put all her Barbies away and she never once played with them again. And that understanding of what she was doing and what she was playing and that it was something that was not pleasing to God, that it was offensive to God, brought her such shame that she never again picked up a Barbie doll or a Ken doll. In fact, the mom told me this week that her, her daughter put those dolls away, and uh, she, she started for a while, she played with those Bratz dolls. Do you remember the Bratz dolls with the big giant heads? Uh, she played with those for a while, but she said, she said her daughter never again played with a male doll. It was only girl dolls from then. And, and this is what shame does, doesn't it? Is shame, when it comes into our lives, can completely destroy what is an innocent and beautiful thing and can ruin it completely. Do you know what I'm talking about? And, and I would ask you this morning uh, about your memories. What, what has been deeply shameful to you that has ruined a part of your life. I can speak for myself. There have been lots of things, big things as well as little things in my life that over the years I have felt ashamed of. And for me, what it has, what it has caused me to do is to go into hiding. When I feel ashamed about something, I just have learned to hide it really well. And Chris and I, in the years that we have been in ministry, in the years that we have counseled people and helped people with with sin and with life problems, we've, we've learned that there are some people who become just really good at hiding things. Some people, when they feel ashamed, they change their behavior. Other people just hide it, believing that if nobody knows about it, they can get away with it. And in fact, our experience has been that men probably are, are, are more inclined than women to hide the shame, just push it underground, and hopefully if nobody sees it, they won't know, and the shame will be quelled. But shame is a powerful thing, and it changes us. 
One of the things that I think is especially damaging is if we live with shame for a long period of time, it changes the way that we relate to God. It changes the way that we perceive God because shame makes us feel that God doesn't like us. Do you know what I'm talking about? We feel like God doesn't like us. The first question that's on your note cards, if, if you're taking notes this morning, is asking you, how do you think that God sees you? Or, or in other words, what's, what's your level of shame, I guess, is kind of what I'm asking. How, what, how do you think God sees you? And, and I'd like you just to mark, I, I gave you a large blank there, uh, and I'd like you to choose a number between 1 and 10, and then just write a little explanation. Nobody's going to read this except you, but I'm just curious how you think that God sees you. One would be this. One would describe you as, God is really angry with me. And if that's where you feel this morning, then you just put one, okay? Uh, five would be, God says, meh. Okay? Do you all know what meh is? This is a word I learned from my friend Colt. Uh, Colt, meh is just like, eh, meh. Okay? It's, I don't feel anything. There's no good, there's no bad, it's just meh. Okay? And so that would be a five. God looks at you and you think, this is your perception, that God just feels meh about you. Or maybe you feel a 10, which would be that God is just smiling at you all the time. Now, uh, I don't know where you feel. I just, I just want you to evaluate your feelings about this. It doesn't necessarily have to be uh, what you know to be true, according to what the Bible says. But how do you feel that God thinks of you on an emotional level? Angry, meh, or smiling all the time? I'll give you just a second to write a number and just a short explanation, just for your own notes. Shame. I want us to start this morning in the book of Genesis, chapter 3. This is the, this is the part of the Bible in which we find where shame comes from. And Genesis chapter 3 is a very powerful story. If you know the creation story from the book of Genesis, you will remember that God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says, and, and each day he created something different. And when he came to the last part of the creation, he created man. And he put man in this incredible garden. And then he realized that this guy was lonely. And all the single men in the room can say, Amen, I'm lonely. Okay, a few of us. <laughs> But Adam was lonely, and so God said, I'm going to create this woman for him. And the woman came along, and they were living in the garden. And, and whether or not you've ever read the book of Genesis, you've seen the artwork that's, you know, that's used in whatever uh, print magazines or TV or whatever. You've seen this idyllic scene of this man and this woman in the Garden of Eden. And what is really significant about their existence in the garden is that they were naked, living among this, these beautiful plants. It must have been very warm. And all of these animals and everything else, they're naked. But what the Bible says is they had no shame. They had no shame. Now, once in a while in our culture, there will be someone who has no shame and feels comfortable running around naked. But for the most part, that is not a familiar feeling to any of us, right? We're not comfortable being naked. Why? Because we're ashamed. And if, if you have any accurate perception of what your body looks like naked, you'll cover it up, right? Uh, we're all together with that. Just cover that thing up. Nothing's pretty there. 
But Adam and Eve were naked and they had no shame. But Genesis chapter 3 tells us that there was an event that took place that changed everything. And like I said earlier, shame can ruin everything. For Adam and Eve, the shame came and it ruined this idyllic existence that they had in this garden. The story is told that God told them they could eat anything in this garden and everything was beautiful, everything was ripe, everything was delicious. They could eat anything except for the one tree, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But Eve was tempted, and the Bible says Adam was right by her side when she was tempted. She ate the fruit, she gave some to Adam, he ate it right after her. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 3. It says that their eyes were opened, and at that moment, they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Suddenly, they felt shame at their nakedness. And so it says, they strung fig leaves together around their hips to cover themselves. And then when God came in the evening, as it happened every day, he came in the evening to just spend some time with Adam and Eve, what did they do? They went and hid And when God said, why are you hiding? They said, we hid because we were naked. Everything changed. And this is where shame came from. And this is where this this term that we use as Christians, the term sin, this is where sin came from. Sin is disobedient to the boundaries and the rules that God gives us. And the sin brings us shame. And the next thing that I want you to write in your note cards is this, if you're taking notes. There is a part of this that has to do with our flesh. And I want to to give you a definition. The word flesh is a metaphor for our sinful nature. What the New Testament tells us is that sin is inbred in our flesh. Sin is bred into our flesh. The New Testament tells us that because Adam and Eve sinned, because they chose to disobey God, that all of us, just by being born, have this this body of flesh and bones that compels us to sin, and sin brings us shame. And this is important because today I want to talk about the flesh, And, and the flesh refers to our sinful natures. Um, have you ever noticed how uh, most of the things that, that lead us into sin are good things in one capacity and bad things in another? Let me give you an example. I love to eat. You all know that if you know me very well. I love to eat. My body, my flesh, craves food. When I wake up in the morning, my body says, I'm hungry, feed me. And so I feed it. And food is a good thing. You know that all of us would die if we never ate, right? But I love food so much that sometimes I overindulge my flesh and I eat too much food and I get fatter and fatter and fatter. And depending on how well I'm managing the needs of my body kind of depends on how wide my, my girth becomes, all right? And... And the Bible even says that gluttony is sin. It's one of the sins listed in the New Testament as being very dishonorable to God. When we become gluttonous, we are stepping outside the boundaries of what what God wants for us. 
And, and it, be, it can become sinful if we are overindulging that fleshly part of us. But God designed this body to need food, yes? But if we step outside of the boundaries of what is good, it becomes sinful. Another, another uh, important one for us to think about is the craving for sex. God created all of us as sexual beings. God created us to want and need that relationship uh, that, that results in sexual fulfillment. There's a deep need for that. But if we step outside of the boundaries that God has given us, which is one woman and one man in a married relationship, then that becomes sinful and it leads to shame and it leads to a broken relationship with God. And this is the, the, the paradox that we're stuck with is that we have these bodies that crave things. We crave food. We crave drink. We crave a sexual relationship. We crave so many things. We crave shelter and clothing. And all of these things, if we pursue them unchecked and uncontrolled outside of the paradigms that God has given us, it leads to sin, which leads to shame, which leads to a broken relationship with God. Does this make sense? This is the nature of the flesh. God created all of these urges. God created all of these desires, but he also created them to be held in control and balance and appropriateness. But our flesh gets us in trouble when we overindulge in any of them. I'd like to take you to the book of Romans. And if you have your Bibles, you are more than welcome to turn there with me. Uh, I, I, wanna, I want to read together a passage from Romans chapter 8 uh, that I am titling, The Mind is Set on the Flesh. Um, and, and I've taken some time to talk about this flesh uh, because this is an important term for us to grasp. Let me just give you a little bit of an explanation um, before we move on. Many of you use newer translations of the Bible like the NIV. How many NIVs do we have here? All right, New Living Translation, raise your hands if you've got that one. All right, some of these newer translations, some of these newer translations will translate the word flesh for sinful nature, and that is a good translation. I'm not saying it's bad, but in the Greek language that the New Testament was originally written in, the, the literal word is flesh in this passage of Romans chapter 8. And so I want to read it in the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV, because it's a little more literal. And I want you to see this and hear this, what the Apostle Paul has to say about the fleshly nature. I'm not quite ready for you guys, but thank you for coming. You're not, you're not going to want to stand here. I'm sorry, I need you at the next Romans chapter 8 passage. <laughs> These are good guys. They do anything I tell them to. <laughs> Thank you, boys. Okay, Romans, <laughs> Romans chapter 8. Would you look at this with me? If you've got your Bibles open or you can follow along on the screen, this is what it says. Those who live according to the flesh, or if you've got a newer version, it's going to say according to the sinful nature. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, this is talking about the flesh, and it's talking about the Spirit. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and, and, and how, how He operates in our lives in a couple of weeks. But today, I want to talk about what the flesh does. And if you're taking notes, there's a place there for you to make a list. This is what I want you to write from this passage uh, of Romans chapter 8. The mind that is set on the flesh, number one, is controlled by the flesh. Okay? In other words, if you are thinking all the time about what this flesh desires and craves and wants, you are going to be controlled by what you desire and crave and want. Number two, the mind that is set on the flesh leads to death. Now, these aren't my words. This is what Romans chapter 8 tells us. If you are thinking about the flesh all the time, it's going to lead you to death. The mindset on the flesh, thirdly, is hostile to God. Fourthly, the mindset on the flesh does not submit to God's law. In fact, it says it can't. It's not even possible for you to live according to God's law if you're thinking about your flesh, if your mind is set on those things. And then the final thing is, it cannot please God. And this is the main point that I want you to walk away with this morning. If you are controlled by your flesh, you cannot please God. If you are controlled by your flesh, you cannot please God. That's a hard statement. And it goes back to that first question and and the continuum that I asked you, 1 to 10, how do you think God sees you? If you are controlled by your flesh... You have to know for certain you aren't pleasing God. And you're probably not at number 10 on that scale. You're probably more down 1, 2, 3 area. And that's, that's just the truth. In Galatians chapter 5, there is a list that I've titled the works of the flesh. In fact, uh, some, of the, some of the translations uh, will lead off with that phrase, the works of the flesh are. I've put these up on the screen as well, and I want you to see this. This particular translation uses the word desire instead of the word flesh. But I want you to see these. Look at this with me. People's desires are the flesh. Make them give in to immoral ways, filthy thoughts, and shameful deeds. They worship idols. They practice witchcraft, hate others, and they're hard to get along with. People become jealous, angry, and selfish. And let's just stay right there just a second. Go go back for me, would you? Do you see this list of what happens when you are living by the flesh? These are the things you fall into. And what's interesting to me is there are some things in that list that many of you reading it would say, wow, I would never do any of those things. But the list is pretty comprehensive. And if we're honest with ourselves... Towards the bottom of the list, there's some things that for some reason in the Christian community, we're okay with. 
We're okay with being jealous, angry, and selfish because it's not one of the bad sins. All right, go to the next one, would you, Michael? They not only argue and cause trouble, but they're envious. They get drunk. They carry on at wild parties. And they do other evil things as well. And now here's the hard part. I have told you before, and I'm telling you again, no one who does these things will share in the blessings of God's kingdom. What Paul is telling us is if we give in to the impulses of the flesh, if we just give ourselves over to what this body desires, we are not going to share in the blessings of God's kingdom. Now that's a really nice way of saying, if you just keep on sinning and sinning, you're going to go to hell. That's what it's saying. Okay? Sorry to be so blunt, but that's what it's saying. You cannot go on living according to the desires of this body and and get away with it eternally. There is a higher way of living that God is calling us to. There's a higher way of living. On your chairs when you got here this morning, there's a, a little black piece of paper, and would you grab that? Would you, take this, would you take this black piece of paper and your pen? I want this black piece of paper to represent for each of us this morning the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. And, and your piece of paper represents your life. Okay? And what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read, uh, I'm gonna read this this passage from Galatians 5 one more time. And as I read it, would you write down any of the things that your flesh has a tendency to give in to? In fact, Michael, why don't you go back two more slides so that, so that they can see this again, the beginning of the Galatians chapter 5. Would you write down any of these that are weaknesses for you? People's desires or their flesh make them give in to immoral ways. If you have a tendency to give in to immoral ways, just write that down. This is only for your eyes. Nobody's going to look at this except you. They give in to immoral ways. Filthy thoughts, shameful deeds. They worship idols. That might be a weakness for someone here. Practice witchcraft. They hate other people. You know what that is. They're hard to get along with. That might be your weakness here that you need to write down on your black piece of paper. You're just a person who's hard to get along with. Some people become jealous. Some people become angry. Some people are selfish. Next slide, please. They argue. They cause trouble. Is that one of those things that is true in your life? Some of them are envious. Some people struggle with getting drunk. Some people carry on at wild parties. Uh, the literal word for that one is they, they engage in orgies. That's, that's what it says. This particular translator just decided to make it gentle, but that's the word that's there. So uh, you can write that one down if that's it's something you struggle with. And then the last one, they do other evil things as well. What Paul is saying in that last phrase is, this list is incomprehensive. There's lots of things that our flesh drives us to do. What is yours? Have you written it down? 
Nobody needs to see this except you. I just want you to write it down. And now I want you to hear this from Romans chapter 8. Now, boys, you can come to your instruments if you would. This is what I want you to know, and this is where we're going this morning. I've beaten you down a little bit with all this sin talk, but this is what I want you to know today. Is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3, Jesus has destroyed the flesh addiction. Jesus has destroyed your flesh addiction. Here's what it says. God sent his own son in a body. Jesus came in flesh like we are. Okay, do you see that? See how cool that is? Jesus came in the flesh in a body like we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Jesus destroyed the flesh addiction. Verse 4 says this, He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, Because we no longer follow our sinful nature, but we instead follow the Spirit. Again, in two weeks, I'm going to talk to you about what it means to follow the Spirit. And then the last line of this passage says this, Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we no longer live in shame. I don't think that's on the screen. Let me just say that to you again. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus... We no longer live in shame. Let me explain that to you. You see, although each of us has a black piece of paper that represents the sin that we struggle with, Jesus came to wipe all this stuff away and to destroy it for you and to me so that this no longer controls us, but we can be set free to live a life that brings pleasure and honor to God. Our team is coming at this time. They're going to pass out another piece of paper. It's a red piece of paper. And I want you to take this red piece of paper, and I want you to take your black one. Don't put your black one down. I'll give them just a moment to get these red ones out. Your red piece of paper represents the sacrifice of Jesus who came in the flesh, the Bible says, and he lived a sinless life and then he died taking the penalty of sin that you and I deserve because we've given in to the impulses of the flesh. And this red paper represents the sacrifice of Jesus. Everybody got a red piece of paper? This is what I want you to do. Now they're going to pass out some glue sticks. Can you get those glue sticks out? We're going to do crafts here today. What I want you to do, I want you to take your glue stick, and you'll have to share with your neighbors. Would you glue the blood of Jesus on top of your flesh list? 
and use a lot of glue. Just smear it all over and get it really good and stuck. And what this is representing for us today is when Jesus comes in and he destroys the flesh addiction for you, you can't read that list of sins anymore. And if you look at, from, look at it from the perspective of God, you don't see the black anymore. All you see is the red. And I want you to know that when Jesus comes into your life and, and Jesus has covered your flesh, when God looks at you, he doesn't look at you with anger anymore. He doesn't look at you with, with, with disapproval anymore. He doesn't look at you and say, Oh, I know that Larry... He's just meh. He doesn't say that. He looks at you and he looks at you through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ who has cleansed you from every sin, who has set you free from your flesh addiction and everything is new. Those glue sticks going around? Anybody not got a glue stick or have one coming to you? Right back in the back, Chris, I think somebody doesn't have a glue stick. Okay, it's coming. Would you take your papers now, your glued pieces of paper, and would you look at the side that's just red? Would you look at it? And would you listen to this verse from Romans chapter 6? It says this, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Our flesh was crucified with Christ so that sin would lose its power in our lives. And then listen to this. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. Would you look at your red piece of paper and say that with me? We are no longer slaves to sin. One more time. Say it one more time. We are no longer slaves to sin. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, this is amazing. Because every one of us in the room have failed so miserably. And we've written down that stuff in our lives that we are so deeply ashamed of. Some of us have written things that that if anybody read it, we would be horrified. But Jesus, you have come, and in your flesh, your perfect flesh, your righteous flesh, your sinless flesh, you shed your blood, and you've covered our sinful flesh, and you've set us free from the flesh addiction. Jesus, I just have to say thank you. Like I said earlier, 
This is just the first in a six-week series. I hope this morning that you feel like you have a fresh start. Next week, I'm going to talk about the law, which Galatians 5 and Romans 8 and Romans 7, 2 talks a lot about the law and legalism. I want you to know that although I've talked a lot today about sin and the works of the flesh, the answer to it isn't obeying a long list of rules and regulations. And that's what I'm going to be talking about next week is how, uh, how all those rules and that legalism actually can arouse the desire to sin in us. And then the week after that, I'm going to talk about what fixes it all, which is living a life in which the Holy Spirit prompts you to live a life that is pleasing to God. So that's kind of where we're going. And I don't want you to walk out of here discouraged this morning. I want you to walk out rejoicing that Jesus has covered your flesh with his blood. And in the next couple of weeks, we're just going to keep the train rolling. Can I give you three next steps? And then we'll uh, worship the Lord in giving before we go. Three next steps this morning. We have one more thing to pass out. We're doing lots of passing this morning. Your first next step is this. I want you to read a passage from Galatians chapter 5 every day this week. And I've had it printed on cards for you so that it's easy for you to read. But also, I want you to read it in this particular translation that, uh, that uses the word flesh. And some of the words are big, like some of the more technical translations tend to be. You might want to read it on, on your card one day and then maybe read it in your own Bible the next day. But I'm hoping that you will commit to reading these verses every day this week. Because I want the truth of what this says to start absorbing from your mind into your heart and producing fruit in your life. And so that's your first next step. Your second next step is this. I want to ask you this week to memorize Romans 8, verse 8. Memorize Romans 8, 8. And that verse says this. It's very simple. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And if you even want to write that down on your note card, you can. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. In fact, why don't you just say that with me? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. There you go. You got it memorized. You can check that one off for the week. But keep that in your mind this week. And then number three is this. I want you to start working this week changing what you think about. I read that passage from Romans 8, verses 5 and 6 earlier that says that if we have our minds set on the flesh, we become controlled by the flesh. But if our minds are set on the Spirit, we become controlled by the Spirit. Would you start changing how you think this week? And instead of obsessing about all that stuff that you obsess about, Start filling your mind with the things of God. Start filling your mind with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to find that your behavior changes when you change the way you think. How many of you have already found that that's true? Changing the way you think changes the way you live. It's really true. So together we're going to do this. Can you say amen? Amen, amen means so be it. So be it.